Hello, my name is Delmer Eldred. Thank you for joining me today for which is going to be a very interesting and informative interview with Jonathan Lesser, an adjunct fellow at the Manhattan Institute and president of Continental Economics. He has 35 years of experience working for regulated utilities and state government, including the state of Washington, as a consultant in the energy industry. Jonathan, thank you for agreeing to do this interview today. Can you expand on the impact of renewable energy? Um, Sure. Um, The problem, as I see it, is that renewable energy, which is basically uh, wind and solar power, is intermittent. (laughs) And that means you can't can't order the wind to blow or the sun to shine. Um, And so it has to all be backed up. And backup is expensive. And one of the problems we're seeing is, and we've seen it say, is that needed most, these renewables aren't available. So recently in Texas, for example, the, the power system operator there was telling people, please you know, turn off your air conditioning, turn out the lights, don't charge your electric vehicles because there's not enough electric generation to meet electricity demand. And what you're going to see is that's happening more and more because we've got coal plants, gas plants that are being uh, retiring or being forced to retire because they're no longer economic, thanks to all the subsidies for wind and solar. And it's not being replaced with anything. Uh, The proponents of wind and solar talk about, uh, oh, we're going to build battery storage. Well, there's simply not enough battery capacity, manufacturing capacity to do that enough raw materials to do it to provide any meaningful backup. And up where you are, um, you've got uh, a system where demand is highest, electricity demand is highest in the winter uh, because it's cold in winter up there. Uh, And so how much solar power do you get in the winter? Very little. Again, you've got you've got uh, the least amount of say solar and most valuable to have it, and you'll have it the most in the summer when it's you know in most cases it's not that valuable because demand doesn't uh, peak in the in the summertime up there. So the, you know the problem is that you're you know, all these proponents of wind and solar making these grand promises. And it's simply, they're not coming to be because the resources simply do not perform the way it advertised. Well, it, that's, a, that's a brief summary. Yeah. It's, a, it's not even feasible to uh, transition from fossil fuel to net zero and provide the energy that is needed. And, uh, no, it's, it's, it's technologically impossible. Um, not only would you have to cover huge areas of this country with wind and wind turbines and solar panels, uh, you'd have to build many thousands more miles of, of high voltage transmission lines, which is expensive. Uh, transition to all electric everything, which a lot of places are pushing, uh, means you're going to have to rebuild the local distribution systems. That's the, the poles and wires that, that are uh, running down your street. Uh, that's going to be very costly. And then again, you have to have some form of backup. And some people are talking about uh, what they call dispatchable emissions-free resources. So that those can be ramped up and down to, to sort of offset the, the variation in wind and solar power, but they'd somehow be powered uh, not with natural gas, which is how it's done today primarily, but with hydrogen. 
The only problem is those dispatchable, emissions-free resources don't exist. There aren't any. Um, hydrogen today is produced by burning natural gas, which, so, you know, burning natural gas to make hydrogen to run in a combustion turbine makes no sense. There are no combustion turbines that exist that can run on hydrogen, and hydrogen storing it and transporting it is very difficult. It's very expensive, uh, and if it escapes, it has a tendency to explode violently. So that's not a real solution. Um, but again, people, the proponents, they just ignore this stuff. It's all religion, really. Well, it's like one of your articles there, if I'm quoting it right, that the closer we move to renewables, the closer we move to uh, energy poverty. So. Well, that's true. And, you know, I don't know if that's a, a bug or a feature, uh, but we are, you know, we're seeing this in Europe. Uh, more people falling into energy poverty because electricity is so expensive. Of course, they're dealing with, you know, they've made themselves entirely dependent on natural gas from Russia, which is cutting off their supplies. And, and so literally they're telling people, we expect you to freeze in the dark uh, this coming winter because there's not enough natural gas to heat your homes. Uh, it's crazy. And, you know, if that's the solution for this country where we're going to be telling people either suffer in the heat or, or freeze in the dark because we don't have the energy we need, um, that's going to impoverish millions of people in this country. Uh, it's going to make the economy much poorer. You know, you'll lose, you know, lose jobs. Uh, you know, and people will be miserable. Well, uh, with, that's, with this, go ahead. With this, uh, wh where we have the uh, gas shortage and and whatnot right now, and they're uh, striving harder to push more renewables, but. The people that are dependent right now on a lot of this renewable energy are are already paying way more uh, for electricity than they would if they if it would have been coal or gas or or um, hydroelectric, you know. But now it's they keep moving closer and closer to where there's people that aren't even going to be able to afford electricity. Well, that's that's right, and uh, you know I'm doing some work in California now, and and that's. That's a real problem. Uh, rates are getting so high on California, not just because of renewables, but because of all the wildfires that have uh, occurred, and many uh, of them because of faulty utility equipment. Uh, and so you're talking about rates where it's going to cost somebody three, four hundred, five hundred dollars a month to uh, cool their house. Uh, well, no, most people can't afford that. Um, and so you're, you're basically telling people, and again, this is happening in Europe, you know, do you want to have electricity or do you want to have food on the table? Um, and that's, you know, that we've reached this point, and that's where, where some of the, uh, the proponents are pushing us is, in my view, just, that's just terrible because a lot of this stuff is benefiting the, the highest income consumers. They get subsidies to buy expensive electric vehicles. They get subsidies to install charging uh, stations in their homes. Uh, you know, subsidy, they don't have to pay gas taxes. Um, in some states like New Jersey, they don't even have to pay sales tax on, uh, on when they buy an electric vehicle. Uh, so all the subsidies are benefiting the wealthy and it's poor and low income consumers that have to pay for all this. 
Yeah, with the with the amount of inflation that just uh, you know that that is increasing every day. It's just making it harder and harder for the average citizen to meet his needs and go to work. You know, so that, that's right. And 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 a lot of this stuff is in favors people who live in cities uh, where there's charging stations, and you know they tell people to uh, uh, rent Ubers or something. Uh, you know. Uh, a lot of people live in rural areas, including myself. Uh, you know, that's available. Now that infrastructure is here. Uh, you know, I can't call up Uber to, to you know, pick me up from the house. That's crazy. Um, so, uh, you know, again, a lot of this is very, very urban-centric, and they're basically, uh, you know, giving the middle finger to uh, uh, people who live in rural areas. Yeah, Exactly. And, you know, it's just like the wind and solar are not going to be uh, what if they get all these electric vehicles, they're not going to be able to charge them uh, without uh, using, a, you know, fossil fuel to uh, prop up. The, like you say, it's so intermittent and it's un, it's unsustainable. If you're going to have a lot of electric cars, you're going to have to have something that will put, uh, produce electricity on demand, you know. That's that's right, and even Elon Musk, who who owns Tesla, uh, has said the country can't, uh, you know, that the infrastructure is not there to move all electric vehicles because the amount of electricity you'd need, uh, there's simply not the resources to support it, uh, and that's why again you see things in like in Texas where uh, they're telling people don't charge your electric vehicle in the evening after you get home from work. Uh, well, that's when most people want to charge them. And, and so, you know, you've got this, it's very ironic situation where they say, buy an EV, uh, and then you're not subject to high gasoline prices, but then you can't charge your EV because there's not enough electricity to do it. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, is this is solar doesn't really, uh, isn't efficient enough for anything. And, you know, it's got... Uh, Increasing amount of this solar toxic waste. I mean, uh, it's not solar is not really that beneficial for any uh, practical use. But do you think that solar, because of the amount of uh, waste, could fall under its own weight? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I haven't studied that issue a lot. Um, I know um, there's some folks who have been putting solar. Uh, solar panels, floating solar panels on lakes in the east. Uh, and, you know, that's a real concern. What happens when all the toxic bacterial in the panels leaks into the drinking water? So, uh, you know, I, I really don't know what that, uh, you know, what's going to happen, uh, but it is a disposal issue. And, um, you know, that's something we're going to have to grapple with. Uh, I don't think any of the proponents are really dealing. They just either deny there's a problem, or they're just putting their head in the sand and, and, you know, forgetting about it until those panels wear out in 20, 25 years. Well, and there's not really any, uh, I mean, in Washington, they have a requirement for decommission in California, but there's not really anything set that they're, they're going to do with it. And, you know, all the solar panels and the, uh, the the turbines all are too expensive to recycle. They cost more than they would to uh, just remanufacture them. 
And, you know, as, if they're going to recycle them, that means the cost of electricity to the consumer is going to have to go up because somebody's going to have to pay for that when it's three times more than it is to, to uh, buy them right from China. Yeah, I don't, and I, I don't know technically how you could possibly recycle solar panels because, I mean, it's not like there are any moving parts. You have to basically deconstruct them and, you know, remanufacture the panels. Um, that would obviously be very expensive. Um, so, and yeah, and right now another, and that, that's another irony that you that you raised. Um, all the, the wind and solar is supposed to create thousands or millions of these high-paying green jobs. But if you look at you know, who's manufacturing solar panels, well, 90% of them are manufactured now in China. Uh, and in the wind industry, it's all in Europe. So, you know, we're not, our country is not fitting from, uh, all these supposed green jobs uh, at all, contrary to what, you know, all the promises that were made by wind and solar proponents. Well, you know, in our area, it's pretty much uh, like it is in a lot of places. They're uh, gobbling up this agricultural, tillable agricultural land and putting, you know, millions of solar panels up, and uh, that electricity is not for local use it goes to other areas where they don't want they don't want renewable energy like seattle and and uh you know the especially a lot of the bigger places on the east coast are uh not going to put any in the in the more high dollar areas where the you know that's right they that, that, that's that's another problem with wind and solar panel it has huge land requirements uh wind is even much larger than solar and solar as you know, is is very large itself, um, and uh, you know, again, it's placing this stuff in rural communities. A lot of those communities don't want it. A lot of them are fighting back. Uh, and uh, one one gentleman I work with named Robert Rice has written on tremendous amounts on uh, about this and about local communities resisting siting. Uh, uh, and, you know, some of the big developers are, you know, they fight back by filing lawsuits against these local communities that can't afford to defend themselves. Uh, some cases, such as New York, uh, they simply enacted new legislation to uh, uh, basically make it impossible for local communities to oppose these huge developments. Uh, it just took away the, the uh, authority of, them, of those local communities to do that. Uh, and, you know, the other problem you have, honestly, is that in a lot of local communities, the county commissioners are simply being paid off uh, to approve projects. Uh, and that's, it, it's difficult to fight that, uh, except somehow you've got to expose the, uh, you know, I, I guess for lack of a better word, it's just out and out bribery. Yeah, and, you know, that is... It's it's pretty obvious in a lot of areas where the uh, developers are coming in, and uh, you know they've uh, they, they waltz in without hardly any opposition, and and start uh, developments. And the, like you say, the people are going, "Hey, wait a minute, let's take a look at this," and they're putting them in areas that uh, you know, like I say, the tillable agricultural land. And there's a lot of people that can foresee that this is going to be a disaster with millions of acres of solar tillable land and uh you know we're not 
we're not going to be growing anything or or grazing any cattle on it or nothing. It's it's lost. It's never coming back. Yeah, and that's uh, you know I it would be one thing to put solar panels on land that really can't be grazed, can't fill it, that has no other benefits. Um, but to put it on prime agricultural land uh, to me makes no sense. Uh, you know, the last thing we want to be doing now is reducing, say, food production because food prices are already very high. Uh, and we've got a lot of regulators uh, in Washington, D.C. that want to, you know, cut down farming significantly because of, of you know, fertilizer use. And, and, you know, we've seen the result in, in Sri Lanka. Uh, they did this. They went to all organic, and now as a result, people are starving. The government's been overthrown. Um, you know, it was a complete disaster. Uh, but but that's not stopping the environmental zealots at all. Uh, and in fact, I, you know, I think for some of them, that's the goal. They want people to starve and die. Well, you know, it's, it's just like all these different groups and everything that are uh, pushing renewable energy and and declaring climate change while they're getting subsidies and grants from the federal government. I mean, <laughs> they're making money on climate change, and that's, you know, that's uh, a real benefit for them. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, I think uh, one of the old adages is follow the money. And, mm-hmm. yes, the same people are promoting uh what is an essentially climate hysteria that the world's going to end in a few years uh, are also, uh, you know, getting paid millions of dollars worth of subsidies uh, to develop these these uh, renewable energy. And nothing we do as a country, uh, you know, the U.S. is now responsible for less than 15% of all CO2 emissions in the world. And even if you believe climate change is, is going to is an emergency nothing we do is going to change what's going to happen because the largest emitters china and india and other countries that are growing their economies in the developing world their emissions are going way up so nothing we do will have an impact and that's not my belief that's the um uh president biden's climate czar john Kerry. that's what he said even if the u.s cut its emissions to zero it wouldn't make any difference. So, you know, that raises the question, why are we doing all of this? And, and for example, why are we not focusing on nuclear power, uh, which is emissions-free, but unlike wind and solar, uh, it's running uh, 24-7. Exactly. Yes, I, you know, that's there's a lot of ground to cover on this, and it's going to be more and more as these... Uh, these people keep pushing for it, and we got a, uh, you know enough people in the government that is dead set on this uh, green energy. So you know I, who knows where it's going to end up right now. But uh, Jonathan, I just really appreciate you spending time with us today, and uh, your article that that you you got National Review. You do you have quite a few articles, and uh, I'm not sure where there's some more, but uh, you're going to. Well, have- I've got a I've got a new one uh, that was published today. In fact, on the New York Post, that's available. You know, people want to go to the New York Post uh, website and look at opinion and see it there. It's about uh, greed and climate hysteria. Uh, everything I do is also published on the Manhattan Institute website. 
uh, so people can look there. And, uh, you know, if they, if, if, if for all else, and they want to contact you and, and uh, about getting articles from me, just let me know. Happy okay. to do that. Okay, yes, I will. That's great. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I sure appreciate you uh, taking your time to do that. I know you're busy, and so it was a real privilege to have you um, be able to talk to you today. Well, thanks for having me. I uh, look forward to speaking to you again sometime. Thank you.